we're going to continue in our sermon series today, right? If you were not here last week, that's okay. But I hope that you, I hope that you did listen to the sermon, right? Because it's a, just a disclaimer, listen, if you're not able to make it on a Sunday morning because of illness, because of this or because of that, go back and listen to the sermon so that you can stay in line with what we're doing. We put them online, not so that you can hear all the things that I had to say, but because I want you to know where we're headed and where we're going. And last week was a seminal sermon for this church because essentially what we did is we tackled why we exist. It's, it was the vision. It's the, it is the pinnacle. It's the deepest end of the pool. And now we're actually walking our way out to talk about how we do that functionally. And so if you weren't here, what you missed was God's aim for the whole world and for all of human history is to magnify Jesus Christ through people he has redeemed and transformed. That's what he's doing in the world. Plain and simple. Now, it took me 50 minutes to say that last week. You got it in a sentence, right? Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the, the how. How do we do that here at For the City Church? And, and, that, and essentially, it's make disciples. That's what God calls us to do. It's what Jesus commands us to do. So, little disclaimer, you don't become a Christian by making disciples, you don't become a Christian by doing anything, really. You become a Christian by trusting, which I guess you could say that, but even that's a gift, what Christ has done. Plain and simple. And if you're a Christian, then you are a disciple. People want to put tears in this, this word, like, well, you trust Jesus, now you're a Christian. And if you want to get kind of serious about him, you go to church every Sunday, and you, you know, you're a disciple. And if you want to like be like on steroids, well, then you get like real serious, and you make disciples, and maybe you end up getting a job with a church. That's not normative for the Bible. Christian, actually, disciple is always used in the New Testament, especially within the Gospels. Christian doesn't show up into the book of Acts much later, right? So they're synonymous. You need to see that. You need to understand that. So we're going to talk about that today. Because here's the deal. I say a disciple of Jesus because in reality, every one of you are a disciple. I, I mean, even if you're not in Christ, you are a disciple. We're like, whoa, wait a minute. The question is, who are you following? And, 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 and here's the other thing. You have disciples. You have people that look at you and model after what you're doing. The question is, is how are you influencing them? What are you leading them to? Who are you leading them to? What does this thing look like, right? So, so everybody in the world is learning from someone. They're idolizing someone. They're wanting to be like someone, and then they model themselves after that person. That is a disciple, quite honestly. Growing up, I had many good influences. I had some good disciple makers. I had some bad ones, right? But listen, so my dad, I looked up to my dad. My dad was not a Jesus guy, but he's a good man. And now he is a Jesus guy, right? So we thank God for that. But growing up, I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to be like my pap. I had two men in my neighborhood who I admired. By the way, I was just thinking about their names. And it's funny. Whitey, literally that's his name, Whitey Gearhart, and Fuzz Wissinger. You just never hear those names anymore, like Whitey and Fuzz, right? And so these guys, I really looked up to them. I'd hang out with them, and they both chewed snuff. And so they had this, this, this round circle on their pants, and I desperately wanted a round circle on my jeans. So I asked if I could have their little you know, can of snuff, and I'd stick it in my pocket, and I'd scoot across the asphalt because I wanted this thing to happen quick. But you had to like let it in your pants for a long time. But I was growing out of my pants so quick that I could never get one. So finally, my mom like bleached a ring around it. So I could, what a good mom, right? Because I wanted to be like these guys. Okay, those were good influences. They were good men, hardworking men. Taught me many lessons that I still actually hold dear and seek to apply even now. Growing up, though, I had some bad influences, especially in my teen years. That's how it generally goes, right? You're like, ah, oh, those guys are lame. They're old. What do they know? I'll look to someone else. Where did I look? Well, I had the Cessna brothers, and if you're from the Armstrong area, you probably know that name because it's in the news a lot, or at least it used to be, and not for good things, and I would hang out with that group of men, and that led me down some paths that were not good, but then they weren't even cool enough, so NWA, <laughs> I'll just say that, and if you don't know what that is, that's okay, don't look it up. <laughs> I would look up to them, right? <laughs> 
all right, Ruby, you, do you still listen to it? We'll talk later. Right? And so I would look to them. And then there's this movie that came out, Boys in the Hood. And I'd watch them, right? And so I thought I was a gangster. I had a real identity crisis as a young man. I wasn't actually a teenager at that point. It was preteen. And, but I mean, I thought I was from the hood. And I'm not. I'm actually from Whitesburg, Pennsylvania. This is anti-hood, right? Like, it's, it's literally called Whitesburg, Pennsylvania, right? But, but I even had a little hanky hanging out, and my one buddy's like, you gotta be careful, man. There's gangs. But you see that. There's no gangs where I live. But I was enamored with what was going on in that world, and I was so bored with Whitesburg, Pennsylvania. I wanted someone to shoot at me and live this life of danger. I know. I mean, teenage brain, pre-pubents, it was like crazy, right? But, but they were discipling me. I wanted to be like them. By the way, same is true now. I mean, TikTok is a disciple maker, right? Um, it's not always good. Let's say most often it's not. Movies and all these different things, they're influencing. So everybody's a disciple. There's a man named Mark Dever. Uh, he wrote a book on disciple making. Listen to this quote. He says, to be human is to be a disciple. God didn't present Adam and Eve with a choice between discipleship and independence, but between following him and following Satan. We're all disciples. The only question is of whom? And and that's at the heart. So if by God's grace for the city church is going to magnify Jesus, which is why we exist, how we do that is making disciples who that's their aim. That's why they exist. That's what... That's why you, if you're you're saying this is my church, this is my family, these are the people I want to run this race with, what we're saying is we're going to, by God's grace, shape and form you to be a people who make their life's aim about making much of Christ. That's what we're saying, right? Um, So we must be about making disciples. Well, duh, of course, right? Every church says that. Not every church seeks to actually execute that, though, right? And so here's the deal. We need to look at a text to make sure we anchor ourselves to the Bible, right? And the text we're going to look at, it's known as the Great Commission, right? It's found in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And I'm going to read the text in whole, and we're just going to work our way through it today to see what we can learn from that particular text, right? Now, just a note, where we find ourselves in the Bible is after Jesus' resurrection, So he's been crucified, he has triumphantly resurrected, and then during that time he spent 40 days, 40 nights with his disciples before he ascended to the right hand of the Father. This is probably a week or two before he's going to ascend to the Father, and he has some marching orders, and this is the marching orders he gives to his disciples. So so now, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, if you're following along in your Bible. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Pause. No matter what he says after that, it doesn't matter. Straight up. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me Therefore, go on the main street of Greensburg, stand on your head, spit nickels in the name of Jesus while eating ice cream with your feet. Yes, Lord. Literally, no matter what he says after this, his disciples say, yes. Why? Because you are almighty God. You have all authority in heaven and on earth. Whatever you say is my delight to do. Well, he doesn't say to eat nickels or anything with your feet. Or He says, listen, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. By the way, the main verb there is not go, it's make disciples. That is the, that is the mission. You go across the street, you go across the nations. Wherever you go, you go, but you go making disciples. That's what you do. What do you do? All right. Glad you asked. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right. We got three main things we want to draw out of this. The first point, by the way, you will find on your map. 
right? And, and map is, it's a missional application points, right? Because we're a people who wants to be on mission. We're a people with purpose. You'll notice the first point somewhere in there. Open it up, and it's right there. So the first thing is, disciples of Jesus are worshipers of Jesus. We hammered this last week. But we're, it, we never, I even heard it in, in what Kevin said, and I heard it in what Hannah said. Being has to proceed doing. It has to proceed doing. We are worshipers first and foremost, right? Like, if you get the, the reverse of those, if you get them out of whack, if you get them out of order, then what will happen is, okay, Jesus needs me to make disciples. You'll either become proud because of all the things that you're doing. Aren't I awesome, right? I dedicate all this time and energy and money to the church. Look at me. Or you'll become discouraged because you're just not doing enough. And, and both of them are focused on you. And both of them, they fail to magnify Christ. Therefore, we must be worshipers first and foremost. Because otherwise, that kind of laboring for Jesus actually belittles him and dishonors him. Because it's about you. It's about your greatness or it's about your failures. So we, listen, we come to the fountain of grace and we drink deeply and it's from the overflow of that that we make disciples first and foremost we're disciples we're worshipers we come to him right all right well then the fuel of worship what is that what is the fuel what is it that's going to cause you to give your life to this great task it's seeing it's seeing the stunning truth of a gracious and 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 sovereign god in christ you need to see you and I need to see. You need to see the compassionate heart of Christ. You, you, need to, you need to have your heart stirred for him. You need to love him. Because I, I can just tell you right now, spoiler alert, if you get that, if that's happening, I don't have to tell you to make disciples. You will make disciples. Because it will be the overflow of your life. But in order for that to happen, you have to see. And the problem with many folks, when, when they, they have no desire towards the Lord, isn't obedience. Obedience will flow from seeing. If you see the beauty of Christ and who he truly is, you will do. I would love to spit nickels in the name of Jesus. That's a weird time for you to walk in, right? Like, welcome, my friend. <laughs> We're not spitting nickels today, just so you know, right? Like, but, but you will gladly do it because I'll follow you wherever you go. Right, Because I see, I see you're stunning. I want to be with you. So I'm going to go through some text, and I'm going to rattle them off. The reason is because I'm praying that the Spirit would stir your hearts for the God that we say we worship. Okay, And so what I want you to hear in all these texts is compassion. I want you to hear compassion, right? So Matthew 9, 35 through 36, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogue, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14, 14 says, When he, Jesus, went ashore and he saw the great crowd, he had compassion on them. He healed the sick. Matthew 15, 32, then Jesus called his disciples and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowds that they have been with me now for three days and have had nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Mark 1, 40 through 41, and a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus says, moved with pity, stretched out his hand, touched him. And said to him, I will be clean. Last text for this. Mark 10, 20 through 21. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Talking about the, the rich young ruler. And Jesus said, looking at him, he loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have. Give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Listen, church fam. We worship a compassionate God who loves you. Oh, you got to get this. I know at some level you do, but none of us fully comprehend his love. N none of us do. We need to grow in that. You need to ask God to help you see his love for you because this world can be rough. 
And there's times you can feel like he doesn't, but he does. And that's why we keep going back to the gospel constantly, all the time, in everything that we do, because we never move past it, right? Jesus sent his son, and in him we have perfection. But let's get real. You're not a perfect people, right? Like, do I have to convince anybody of that? Like, you're not perfect. I mean, some of you are like, you're pretty close on the spectrum, but you're not perfect. Why does this matter? Because I think sometimes people think, I'll make disciples when I arrive. When I arrive. When I get to this point, then I'll make disciples. That's not how this works. You'll never arrive. And yet, in the gospel, you have arrived. In heaven, in the courtroom of heaven, you're perfect. You're becoming what you already are, essentially. That's what it means to walk with Jesus. That's what it means to be sanctified or to be more like Christ than you currently are in your living and in your practice right now. But, but listen, a disciple of Jesus will be imperfect in reality until Christ returns or until you die to go be with him. Need proof? Peter denied Jesus. He walked with him for three years. He denied him. This guy had a mouth the size of his foot, and he loved to put it in there. All the time. Thomas doubted Jesus constantly. He even got that as his nickname. Like, imagine that's your nickname here at For the City Church, right? You are doubting Jimmy, right? Like, we don't have a Jimmy out of it, right? Like, wow, that, thanks, guys. Like, and, and many of his other disciples misunderstood him along the way. And did you notice in the text that we're looking at in Matthew, even after the resurrection, some doubted. <laughs> That's amazing to me. They're worshiping Jesus. Let that sink in. You're, you're a mixture of doubt all the time. It is not your perfect faith that will save you. It is a very imperfect faith in a perfect God that will get you to the end. You've got to get this. If you don't get this, then, then you will make disciples, but they will be wacky. And we're all wacky at some level, so don't let that cause you to s- slow down. But, but you do need to learn. You do need to learn. You've got to understand the gospel, and we need help to do that. These disciples had seen everything they needed to see at this point. Jesus is about to leave. Think about what they had saw. They had saw, they had witnessed Jesus feed thousands with like a kid's lunchable. Oh, you got a couple of fish, a couple of bread. All right, let's do this thing. Boom, feed them. Right? His first miracle, he turned water into wine. Yes, it was fermented. And yes, people were getting drunk. <gasps> the Baptist will call me. But, but it's, it's a reality. It's a fact. He did that, and and it was the best of wine, right? Why? Because he didn't need to reserve it, because he could just do it at any moment, at any time he ever wanted to, right? What else did he do? He went skiing on the water. He had no boat. He had no skis. That's, That's pretty amazing. He told little girl, you are not allowed to be dead. Get up. He told Lazarus the same thing. Over and over, he healed the sick. He cast out demons. They saw all of this, and they, are, they, they saw him get murdered on a cross, resurrect, and now they're doubting. Why do you beat yourself up for doubting? Right? And yet, some were doubting. This is good news for you if you'll hear it. You and I are needy receivers. <laughs> we're needy receivers. It's important that you understand that right from the get-go. We need grace. And you'll never outgrow that moment. There's never going to be a moment on this side of eternity that you'll arrive. And so we imperfectly make disciples. Which is why, before jumping into anything else, part of discipleship is just telling people when you've blown it. I haven't arrived. This is why put your faith not in me, in Jesus. Trust Him, right? A couple quick quotes before we move on. John Piper said this, the difference between Uncle Sam and Jesus Christ, that's a funny statement in itself, is that Uncle Sam won't enlist you in his service unless you're healthy. And Jesus won't enlist you unless you're sick. (laughs) That's the people he's looking for. You're like, I qualify. Good. You're listening. Right? He also said this, what is God looking for in the world? Question mark. Assistance? Nope. The gospel is not a help wanted ad. It's a help available ad. God is not looking for people to work for him, but people who will let him work mightily in and through them. That's what we're seeking here. 
We're not seeking a perfect people. We're seeking a people who will worship a perfect God and do this thing imperfectly. Is that you? Can you qualify? I'm imperfect. Me too. Good. Let's go. That's what we're talking about, right? So to be on mission in the, the work of making disciples is to have a heart full of compassion for people the way that Jesus did, right? That, that's, that's your first need to understand disciple making. Second point is disciples of Jesus are sent on mission to make disciples of Jesus. And you see that in 19 through 20, right? And this is awesome, right? Because essentially what's happening is Jesus is calling you on mission with him. We join Jesus on mission, not, not because we want to grow, particularly for the city church, although we pray it does grow. But whether they go here, whether they go elsewhere, our mission is to make disciples no matter where they land, no matter where they land, right? And we don't exist to, as like some religious people dispensing religious goods. That, that, that might be a part of things we do, but that is not why we exist. We, we don't even exist to give out truth to skeptics because, or because we even like to hang out with unbelievers, and really what we're doing is just disguising the fact that we really just want to do what they're doing. N none of those reasons are why we go. We go because we share the same compassionate heart of Christ the one who sees people as a people without a shepherd. And he has compassion. That's why we go. This is why we, this, this is why you moved here, right? You didn't have to move here. You could have went closer to your job. You moved here. That's why you moved here. That's why there's, there's a handful of people who moved here. And then that's why you moved here. And you might not even know that. You're like, no, that's about my job over where I work. No, that's why God put you here. And if he moves you again, that's why he puts you there. This is your mission till you die. This is what you do. We're to take the gospel across the street to our neighbors and to the ends of the earth. It says nations. Nations means people groups, not actually like, you know, a country. And what do we do? We baptize them. We dunk them. We're full immersion people. Don't worry. We won't do it like as a polar bear plunge. But coming up in the summer when it warms up, those who have not been baptized. That's your first step of obedience. By the way, baptism does not save you. Trusting in Jesus, faith alone, right, is what saves you. But your first step into following Jesus is to be baptized, right? So if you haven't done that, let us know. We'd be glad to do that. But, and so, but then what happens? You teach them. You teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded you. That's your work. That's your work. So I have three questions out of that. What is a disciple? How do you make one? And who's going to be the one that's mainly doing that? By the way, I'm going to answer the last question because I already did 13 times in this sermon so far. All of us. All of us. So that's done. Okay. But if you were to go look up that question on the Google, right? I know it's not the Google. I said that. Jake laughs, right? Because I have a friend who's very close to me. He calls it the Google, right? And it's funny, but if you were to go look it up on the Google, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? What you will find are many answers and much ambiguity. Much. I looked it up this week. So in hopes of being biblical and clear, I'm going to look at one text with you that gets at the heart of discipleship. Okay, ready? Matthew 4.19. There's, there's probably many other texts, but I just want to look at one. And I think if you get this text, you will understand the heart of discipleship. This is center. Okay, ready? And he, that's Jesus, said to them, particularly this is Peter and Andrew, but he's saying it to all of us. Now here's the part that I want you to hear and see. Follow me. Okay, that's your first part. And I will make you, that's part two, fishers of men. That's part three. That's discipleship. Let's break it down a little bit. Follow me. Follow me. That's the first section we're looking at. A disciple is someone who willingly follows Jesus. Of the Bible, not your imagination, and not of Time Magazine's cover right now. I was just at the Dollar General, and there he was. Time Magazine Jesus. That's what we'll call him, because I'm pretty sure it's not what he looks like, right? Like 2,000 years ago, he had feathered hair. He kind of was glowing and floating. I don't think that's it. And I guarantee if you read Time Magazine, that's not the Jesus of the Bible right? So we follow biblical Jesus, right? It's a shame you have to say this, but there are so many versions of Jesus out there. We need our heads in the Bible so that we can see him clearly. Otherwise, you're going to make disciples of an imagination, Jesus. 
And that's not good. You'll be a disciple of an imagination, Jesus. This is why we need the Word of God. That's why we're committed to teaching, preaching, consistently, constantly putting forward the Word of God to you. Because I want nothing more than for you to be people who then do that with all the people I don't come in contact with. Right? You get that? So, so biblical Jesus. Jesus leads, we follow. It's not complicated. It's, now, it's complicated in application. But, like, who here used to play Simon Says? Who here still does? Two. Cool. Yeah, and I know that it's not, yeah, I got you. Right? And, and so if Simon says something, you do it. Right? Jesus says something, we do it. That's what it means. Now, it doesn't mean you do that perfectly, but I think so many times we just throw that out there and just say, so why try? That's not the disciple we're, we're making. By the way, you're not learning a subject. You're learning a person. <laughs> if we could get that statement. It would be very important for our church as we grow. We're learning Christ. I'm going to give you one text that's under the follow me category. It's Mark 8, 34 through 35. So what's he calling us to follow him in? Well, I'm glad you asked. Calling to the crowd with his disciples, he said, if anyone, okay, that's anyone, all sinners, right, right? All sinners are welcome, would come after me. Here's what I want you to do. Let him deny himself. Woo! This sounds exciting, Jesus, which means you get to remove yourself from the captain chair. You're not the boss of your life. Uh, I don't know. That's not the Jesus I heard about. And take up his cross. It's getting more interesting, right? Cross is an instrument of death, right? You're willingly choosing a path of opposition, shame, and suffering. This is not very enticing. This is not how you grow big churches here in America, Jesus. He doesn't care. And follow me. Jesus doesn't negotiate. This is what he's calling you to. And you think, well, that sounds like a real drag. But then he says, for who would ever save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. It's actually gain. See, Jesus is actually calling you to infinite joy because in him is infinite joy. That's what he's calling you to. And, and you can't have him in all the other things. He's saying, follow me. Okay, so that's, that's the first point of disciple making. And then he says, and I will make you, right? So this is the second piece we see. Jesus called 12 men to follow him, and he taught them the basics of the message and his ministry to do the same thing. And out of those 12 men, and he called many other people. There were women, there were children, there were all sorts of people that were Jesus' disciples that were following him, learning him, learning his ways, and they were doing the same thing. Right? So when, when Jesus called people to follow him as a disciple, he was calling them and preparing them for his mission. For his mission. You've you got to see this. It's not why he loves them. He, he doesn't love them because of what they do. He loves them. Period. He doesn't love them because he needs anything from them. But when you understand that love, that means I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Why? Because you're my treasure. You're my joy. Being a disciple of Jesus means transformation. Transformation. You're not saved because you're being transformed. I'm saying if you are saved, you will be transformed. You will be. In other words, a disciple of Jesus is changed by Jesus, and that happens as we worship him, as we go. Right? Follow me. I will make you. Right? Okay, let's look at another text to see that. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. <laughs> freedom. You're free to worship Him. You're free to enjoy Him. You're free to do all the things He's calling you to do. He has set you free. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This all comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Who's at work in you? The Holy Spirit. He is committed to making you more like Jesus. That's what he's doing in you right now, which we'll get into as we continue to go at the end of this sermon. So word and spirit, word and spirit. That's what I want you to hear right now. This is how we make disciples. You and I will become what we behold. You will. I became a gangster rapper in Whitesburg, Pennsylvania. That's what I beheld. That's what I was looking at. That's what I was modeling. That's what I was following. When Christ saved me through many stumbles, through many trials, through many errors, I'm starting and have become more like him. Why? 
because I have real power, and that's what I behold. I want to be like Christ. God help me. And, and so, why does this matter? Because way too many people within the church wrongly think that discipleship is merely a transfer of information. But it's important we get this. It's, very, it's part of that. But that's why we think we have boiled down discipleship to listening to podcasts, live stream worship services, books, studies, classes, and on and on. All those things can be very good and very helpful in shaping you and forming you as a disciple. But, but many times it leads to behavioral modification, not real transformation. And we eliminate people from our lives because if we actually hang out with people, they'll still, I'm actually still a jerk. And I don't want to deal with that, right? And so in that world, I can just get my head full. My heart can still be cold towards the Lord. That's a problem. All too often when we discuss disciple-making within the church world, disciple-making nowadays is more about consuming and absorbing spiritual content than it is about living. More than anything we do, this is about transformation. That's what we're talking about when we talk about making disciples, right? So our mission is not simply about you. It's not simply about you. It's never been simply about you. It's all about Christ, and that's good news for you, right? So as we come to the Word and the Spirit begins to work in us, what happens is we start to become more like Christ. And if you're more like Christ, what you will see is not necessarily behavior, but a compassionate heart that wants to see lost people come to know Jesus. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, not behave. There's no command in your Bible that says be nice. Not one. But that's fake Jesus of the world. No, he says get in their lives. Love them. See them come to me. So that's why the third piece is fishers of men. Fishers of men and women. All people. Children. Right? Every human. Right? This is action. This is action. This is what he's calling us to. It will affect what you do. You were saved for a purpose. Do you believe that? Do you know that? See, disciples don't just learn. They do what they've been taught to do. And they do it imperfectly, but you go. And you joyfully submit to King Jesus. See, the world's hurting and lost. <laughs> Have you noticed? You're like, yes, I am actually hurting. I am lost. That might be you. That might be you. Do you see it, though? Do you care? It's a real question. Do you see it? Do you care? Because if we'll slow down and, and look, not just glance, but just, just look and see our neighbors, we'll see a person, not a problem. You'll see a person with problems, but you'll see a person. And, and when we look at the person, what we will see is that person matters to Christ. And therefore, I'm, I'm a disciple of Christ. That person matters to me. And, and, and I'm not going to look away. I, I want to look away because I know what this means, but I'm going to engage. See, being fishers of men means being on mission with Christ. It means having your eyes open to see the brokenness in the world and, and letting it break your heart because it breaks God's heart. That's when you'll fish. It's when you'll fish. It's when you'll, it's when you'll go. And when and if that happens, what you'll see is you'll see married couples who, who look like they're just doing great. And they might be in a thousand ways, but they might be really struggling and fighting about all the things. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's, it's fertility issues. Maybe it's a thousand things, but you'll see them. And you'll get to know them. Maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's a single mom who's working three jobs and doesn't know where her next paycheck's going to come to feed her kids and she's terrified, and she don't know what to do about it, right? And, and so she's hoping she makes enough tips to go buy food. Maybe it's a middle-aged man who's depressed because all his dreams have been crushed. Everything he had hoped for, everything he had worked for, it's gone in the world that he dreamed of. It's just not coming. The teenager, maybe, who's glued to their phone because they really desperately want someone to just say, you're pretty, and I see you, and I love you right? But, but you'll see them. you see them. Well, if you do that, you'll go fishing. You'll go fishing and say, I know because I'm just like you. I'm hurting. I've been hurt. Let me tell you about my, my, my God. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you. 
and you open up your heart, you open up your lives, maybe you'll notice the college student who keeps getting drunk and high and looks like they're loving life. They're really not. They're not really enjoying that at all, but they think that's the college experience and they don't know what else to do because they're so concerned about everyone else liking them. Oh, if we could see, I don't have to tell you to do it then. It'll happen. We have to slow down and notice the world around us. Here's the concern. Every time a church starts to grow, what happens is we now have a a healthy little community of people where we can enjoy life together. And that's a good thing, but it can be a dangerous thing because I, I can tell you right now, for the people who moved here, we did not move here for that. And I know the rest of you, as I talk to you, you're not in it for that. Okay, make disciples then who are just like you. Do just like that and, and stumble and fumble. But that's what we're doing. That's what it means to make disciples. See, for the city church, listen, when I say that, I mean you, you, we can give no greater gift of love than to share our lives with people and share the gospel with people because they're dying and they're going to hell. That's the stunning reality. This is why when we say we make disciples, if you read it, it says who share proclamation and show the transforming power of the gospel. Lives and lips, right? Lives and lips. That's what we're talking about. If you just do one, that's a problem. It really is. Because that's never the disciple Christ made. They were transformed to be more like him in their action, and part of their action was proclamation. And that's the disciple we're seeking to make here. I'm going to give you a text that I love, and I want you to love it. And so I hope you'll read it and you'll think about it this week, okay? It's 2 Corinthians 5, 15 through 20. And I'm going to read through it and give a little commentary on it as we go, and then we'll finish this piece out and go to the last point. Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. See that? But... For him. So that's discipleship right there. Who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of the ministry. He gave us a ministry. I want you to note this. You have a ministry. I want to start a women's ministry. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but you have a ministry. Every one of you are in ministry. Get this, because that's not how the, 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 the church generally thinks. I'm the leader of this ministry. You have a ministry. What is your ministry of reconciliation? See it right in the text, right? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us <laughs> the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his, God, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you see, to be an ambassador of Jesus is to follow Jesus, to love Jesus, to adore Jesus, but it's also to go before people and not be like, here he, here he, I'm the town crier, because that would be weird and everybody would run from you, but to lay out the gospel to someone and say, trust in Christ, be reconciled to God. Your problems in life will still be here, but your greatest problem will be resolved because your greatest problem is the wrath of God. That's what he's calling us to do. This is our mission. By the way, friendship evangelism is lame. And you know, even, do you know what I mean when I say friendship evangelism? It's like, well, I'm just going to be your buddy, and I'm going to be so kind and so awesome and not drink any beer and never cuss and watch Veggie Tales, and eventually you'll be like, wow, I really love Jesus too. It's not going to work. It's so dumb, right? Like, like. Like seriously, or cool guy evangelism. Oh, I won't do that. I'll go to the bar and I'll drink beer, but I won't drink too much and I'll eat wings and sometimes I'll throw out a cuss word and they'll think, man, you love Jesus and you're kind of cool. I'll follow Jesus. Both are lame. I've got to tell you, I was at a college, I've got to be careful, time and tongue recording, uh, at IUP 
with a college ministry, and they were going to have an evangelism night where they were going to invite all the lost students of IUP to come and eat pizza with Jesus people, and we were going to do a live Q&A, and they were going to ask all these questions, and everybody's going to get saved, okay? I walk in, they got Jesus with a hat, a ball hat on backwards, flat build, holding out a pizza, and it says, Jesus serves, or Jesus delivers, Jesus delivers. I'm like, oh, that's so lame, right? And I wasn't actually invited to this. I had a pastor friend who said, come with me. And I'm like, you sure? And uh, I never got invited back. Um, that's a spoiler alert. But while I was there, this is what they were doing. They were doing cool guy evangelism work. And I just tell you, it doesn't work. Does not work. The power to see people go from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son is the power of a message. And it's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Therefore, listen, be kind, make friends. We we say church planning is nothing more than this, walking with Jesus, making friends with people. But that eventually means you will then share not just your lives, but words with them, with them. Eventually, and, and they may not like you because of this, but you have to love their soul more than you like their friendship. You have to. The reason God's so close to people is because you are trusting in God and you're in their life. This is his plan. I wish I had a rock right now. That's weird, I know. But the reason is because I would hold that rock out to you and say, and if you won't, this rock will cry out. It will. It will. Because God is not limited to you. He's not limited to me. But he's called you. To do this. Will you do it? Will you just... Man, if we could just get over our insecurities, how many people might hear the message that Jesus loves them? And how much? Look at the cross. They're all putting their hope in things that don't work. You have a message. This message is powerful. Will you share it with them? That's what I'm asking you to do. That's why, why, why? I have no authority. Not really. All the authority I have comes from the Word of God. Christ has called his disciples to do this. Will we do it? Yes, I hope. We'll screw up. I remember one time sharing the gospel with someone, and by the time I was done, I was like, I, I, if they were ever close to Christ, that's probably done now. That was horrible. Well, the power's not in me, because that person believed. True story. There was another time I shared the gospel. So I mean, I was stunning. I thought, man, Angels are singing, sky is parting, ray of sunshine just beamed off my forehead. And they said, I want nothing to do with your stupid Savior. See, the power's not in you being cool. Power's in the gospel. Quit trusting in you. Trust in him. Trust in him. Let's put those three pieces together and let's land the plane. This is a disciple, ready? A disciple is one who's following Jesus. That's head, right? is being changed by Jesus. It's heart. That's your affections. It's who you are and is committed to the mission of Jesus. That's hands. And it's all in that text, if you look. Simply put, a disciple is one who worships Jesus, is transformed by Jesus, and obeys Jesus and teaches others to do the same. That's what we're looking for. You're like, I don't know how to do that. Cool, because Kevin and I's main job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You're like, saints? I have a Catholic background. They're dead. You're a saint if you're in Christ. Ready? You are a saint if you're trusting in Jesus. Therefore, Kevin and I want to do that. But guess what? It's not just Kevin and I's job. Not just Kevin and I's job. I I could look at many of you. I won't name you right now. You're making disciples, and they're good. I'd follow you. I'd follow you. I do follow you. It's it's, it's the, the job of the church. You're like, that seems very lofty. How will we ever do it? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, One point, and then we're going to land the plane on the last point. But there's going to be a couple ways we approach this here at our church. Who here golfs? Okay. We need to golf this year, right? Right. So think you got a bag of clubs, right? You got the driver. Think of the driver as Sunday morning, right? Because it covers a lot of ground in a sermon, right? But if all you have is a driver, you're really limited. And many times churches are limited to just a Sunday morning experience. Well, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. So for the city, we're very committed to preaching. 
We're very committed to teaching, but on Sunday morning, preaching. That's the driver, right? But that is not how you get people all the way home. It's not how you get the ball in the cup. What do you need? You need wedges, right? You need your irons. Okay, there you go. So what we would say is irons are our midweek small groups or missional community groups, okay? Um, Even Sunday after service at our house. That's another place where you'll get life on life, getting, mixing it up, sharing your woes, praying with one another, talking to one another, praying for one another, doing all those one another's. So the wedge is our small groups. It's our smaller gatherings, right? Um, because there you can, you can start to talk through the content. By the way, I hope we get past the point where we're like, hey, nice sweater. You too, man. You look great. Even all those things are cool, but like we talk about the sermon and how are you in life. And instead of just saying, oh, this one, I mean, I said ding fod this week and I really wanted to say something way worse. I'm such a bad boy. Like that you get real and you just start saying, I'm just doubting. I feel like a horrible mom feel like a horrible dad, and let someone just come into that space with you and pray with you, right? Um, that happened in our, our, our small group this week. I was very thankful for one particular man who, who helped everyone else step into that space. So thank you, Mark. Then you need a putter. Although I've seen some people do it with a wedge. That's strange. A putter gets it all the way home. What's that? One-on-one. It's one-on-one, one-on-couple. It's coffee, coffee because because you can't share all the pieces of your heart with everyone in a church gathering but you can with a couple you can with one and if you can't then that's some place you got to pray so listen to this quote and let's look at the last point Jeff Vanderstelt says this he says Jesus lived life with his disciples he was close enough to really know them he observed what they believed by watching how they lived. He became closely acquainted with their brokenness so that he could help see their wrong thinking, their wrong believing, their wrong action. They were exposed. And as they were exposed, Jesus' help restored them. That's discipleship. See, if you're in Christ, you are restored. You are redeemed. But you have not arrived. And you heal and you change and you grow in community of other people who are broken and healing and being transformed. We need each other. And I'm so thankful God chose to do it this way, man, because it's a joy to be with you all, to, uh, to labor with you, to be loved by you, and to get the chance to love you. That's discipleship. It's not a class. It's your life. It's not a class. Last point, and I'm, I'm not even going to say much at all. Seriously, and you're like, really? Yeah, because I got zeros back there. I think like... I think he sped that up, but third point, disciples of Jesus are indwelt and empowered with the Holy Spirit. That's good news. That's good news, because if, if it was just us on our own, who could do it? We can't do this. Everything I'm discussing, we can't do. Not really, but we do cooperate with the one who certainly can give us the power to do this. He empowers us to do this. You're like, I can't do this. You're right. You're right. And if you're there, that's good. But now you've got to trust that he can. Through your brokenness, through your failings, through all your shortcomings, that the God of the universe lives in all who believe and trust in Jesus Christ, and he empowers you to do what he's called you to do. What does, what does the Holy Spirit do? He actually does many things. By the way, we worship one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit. Main task. What is the main task of the Holy Spirit? That's a great question. I thought about it this week. What does he do, though? He teaches. He reminds, right? He brings things to remembrance. He convicts the world of sin. He convicts you and I of sin. He dwells in us. He fills us. He gives us wisdom. He gives us power. He gives us hope. He guides us into knowledge and truth. He equips and empowers us for the mission to use our gifts. He seals us and our lives of adoption. He is our down payment. He intercedes for us in weakness and in prayer when we're suffering so much we don't even know what to say. He actually prays on our behalf. He makes us new. He gives us spiritual life. He sanctifies. He enables us to bear good fruit. He does all those things, but can I tell you right now, all those things are ultimately means. Means. What does he do primarily? What do we do? We, we seek to magnify Christ. 
Guess what the Holy Spirit does? Theologians call him the shy member of the Trinity. Because all all he's seeking to do is to make Christ preeminent in and through you. Don't believe me? Listen, John 16, 13 through 14. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you all things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine, meaning his disciples, and he will declare it to you. That's what he's seeking to do. So ultimately, the Holy Spirit was sent to magnify Christ. You're not alone. (laughs) We have each other. That's good news. But we have God at work in us and through us and for his glory and our joy in the world's good. That's good news, family. Remember, it is delight, not duty. And when you delight in Christ, you will make disciples. I promise you. Hang in there. Keep going. Keep telling people, follow me while I follow Christ. And they'll come. Pray for them. Prayer, care, like invite them into your home. I'm going to preach seven more sermons. Let me pray. They're they're coming. Gosh, I got to remind myself of that. All right, let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that your plan is perfect. Thank you that you're at work in and through our church family. Thank you for giving them moldable, teachable hearts. I've seen it. I've been so encouraged by the work you're doing. Holy Spirit, continue to work in our lives in this way. Continue to have us decrease. And in that moment, that's when you begin to decrease in our lives. Jesus, what we long for, what we pray for, and if this is not the longing of our heart, I pray you would change our desires, is that you'd be more famous here in Greensburg and to the ends of the earth, that more and more people would come to know you, that more and more people would come to worship you. That begins with us being passionate worshipers of you and that might not be where we're at and you know that and if that's the case I pray right now you'd speak to that person's heart that you would do a miracle of sight that you would you'd remind them that you see them that you love them that you've not abandoned them that no one could ever rip them from your hand that you're for them and that you're still at work in and through them and that you will complete what you've begun in them therefore they can be of good cheer as they go from here because they have a god who sees who knows and who loves we ask this in jesus beautiful name amen